Good morning. It is great to be home. It is great to see life in a Christian, on a Christian campus. It is great to stand together around the Word of God, in the presence of God, fellow believers, friends, colleagues. Thank you for this privilege, Dr. Allen. It is great to be here. I would like to start by drawing your attention to the subject of the last song we, last hymn we sang, Our High Priest. There is one book in the New Testament that is almost entirely devoted to this high priest, to his work, to his words. And uh, for this morning, I would like to use the benediction, the prayer at the end of this letter, the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 20, 20, and 21, to guide our thoughts this morning. Here's the word of God for us. Now... May the God of peace, who through the blood of the everlasting covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Please do memorize this prayer. It's an incredible prayer, and it's there in the scriptures. So when you feel like your prayer life needs a little bit of a boost, Here's a prayer that you can memorize and pray anytime. Well, before we get to this prayer, let me start by making a few, having a few thoughts about not a priest or a high priest, but about the prophets. The prophets... We find them in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. They are a very interesting group of people. They are in the most unenviable position that you can think of. Because the prophets usually are placed before a rock and a hard place. The prophets are those people that by virtue of the call they receive from God, spend their life, their ministry, before a righteous God, 
and the sinful people. So there is no wonder why you will never find a happy prophet in the Bible. Because that's what they do all day long. First, they look to the people. And they remind the people of their responsibilities before the God of the covenant. And they remind them that they need to be faithful. And then they scold them for not being faithful. And then they remind again of all that God requires of them. And then they chide the people some more. And they are angry with the people. They blame the people, the people of God, for everything that goes wrong around them. Who of us would like to, do, to have that ministry? Always look at the dark side, so it seems. You have been unfaithful again. You have, not, you have not lived according to your responsibilities in the covenant we have you, you have with God. And message after message, book after book, you find that prophetic spirit at work. Chastising the people. The people of God. But that is not the only ministry of the prophets. That is only half of what they have to do. The easier half. Because after they have finished talking to the people, now comes the more difficult part. Because the prophet turns away from the people and looks to God now. Up to this point, he was the mouthpiece of God for the people. He was the loudspeaker of God for the people. But now, he turns to God. And now, God had, our God has to hear from the prophet. He reminded the people of, his of their responsibilities. But now, the prophet turns and looks to God and reminds God of his responsibilities. Would you like to be in this sort of position? To talk to the people on God's behalf, and then to talk to God on, the beha on behalf of the people. To remind the people of their responsibilities. And then, by virtue of your call, to remind God of his responsibilities. 
Well, the passage that we just read today, it is that moment in the course of these 13 chapters when the author of these epistles, which with most of the New Testament scholars, I consider to be someone in Paul's circle, but not Paul himself. We reached the moment when this prophet, when this preacher, turns away from the people and turns to God. For 12 chapters, 12 long chapters and a half, he reminded the people what they have to do. And now, in the closing moments of this epistle, he turns to God and prayerfully he reminds God what he has to do. What were some of the things that he reminded the people? What were they supposed to do? What, what is his prophetic message to the people? Well, let me just remind you a few of them. In chapter 2, he talks about how shall we escape if we ignore such great of salvation? People of God, did you hear that? How shall you escape if you ignore God's salvation? Just a brief chapter away, he talks to them. See to you, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. We have come to share in Christ if, you, if we hold our confidence till the end. Did you hear the people of God? Till the very end. That's how long you have to hold the confidence that you've been called to. Let us be careful that none of you, none of us, be found to have fallen short out of God's call directed to us. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. People of God, did you hear that? You have to obey. You have to live your life in a constant effort to stay and keep the faith. <laughs> We're not even in chapter 6. Uh, here's what comes in chapter 6. People of God, lis listen to this one. It is impossible 
For those who have been enlightened ones, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age to be brought back to repentance if you fall away. Did you hear that, people? Impossible to be brought back to repentance if you fall away. It's not even half of the, of the epistle. And just in case you need a little bit more uh, scolding from this prophet, preacher. Let me remind you, people of God, it is a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. If they, the desert generation, did not escape. How, how less you will. It is a dreadful thing. Well, let me put it up a bit more. And comes chapter 12, in which we are reminded that we stand before a God who is a consuming fire. <laughs> what are we to do? The people of God facing 13 chapters in which paragraph after paragraph you are reminded of what you're supposed to do. Do this. Don't do that. Remember to do this. Make sure you keep it till the end. This is no joke. It's hard life, hard Christian life. Hold on. Don't fall away. Don't turn away. I stand there and say, <laughs> just feel your, your shoulders falling down and your knees bending when you hear the severity of the prophetic message. But now, after 12 chapters and a half, 12 chapters and 19 verses, the wise pastor, the wise prophet, puts the people to rest, and now he turns to God. Now it is God's part. Up to this point, the people had to hear what God, God's expectations were of them. But now, the pastor reminds God what he's supposed to be doing what his responsibilities are. Not that God would need to be reminded of those things, but that's the role of the prophet. He has to tell the people and he has to tell God. What is God's 
What are God's responsibilities? People's responsibilities were listed in no less than 12 chapters and a half. For God, our pastor saved only two requests. He doesn't have 12 chapters for God. It would have had a, a very long epistle indeed if he had had 12 uh, chapters of requests for God. But here is what the, the pastor, the prophet, asks God to do. Look again with me in verses 20 and 21. Before he asks God what he has to do, before he reminds God of his responsibilities, he names this God. May the God of peace. That's the God that the people name as their God. It is a God who likes peace, who hates war, who hates disputes. It's a God who makes peace. It's a God who makes the arrangement for the peace to be achieved and acquired. That's the God that I'm addressing now. May the God of peace. Now observe also that this God is not known only for this quality of his, this aspect of his character, the God of peace. But this God also did something in order to achieve that peace. And that's what the next bit in the verse reminds us of. Who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know how determined God is to make peace with you, people of God? Look at Calvary. That's how much God desires to have peace. The sacrifice of Christ, the death of Christ. The death of Christ which led to his resurrection, the only time mentioned in, the, uh, in, the, in this letter. But then the resurrection that led to the exaltation at the right hand of God the Father. That is the God that we have, people of God. Yes, you have heard a very stern list of demands, requirements from this God. But this God is a God of peace. A God of peace who did his part in the sacrifice, uh, in the death of Jesus, so that peace, peace could be achieved. Now, what is this God to do? Well, there are only two requests that the author has for God. Here's the first one. Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will. God, now it's your turn. I have told them 
almost 13 chapters, what they have to do. Now, listen to what the people expect you to do. This is bound to your promises. And your part is to equip them with everything good so that they could do your will. Let's make this clear, Lord. If you do not do your part, any effort that they put will be in vain. If you do, if you, God, do not equip them to do your will, they could try 24-7, put their best effort. There's no hope. There's no hope for them. So yes, I told them what they have to do, but now we humbly remind you that unless you do your part, their effort is futile. And I'm not asking you more than what you have done in at least two other parts of your creation. Because that equip you with everything good is the same word that the author used when he talks about the creation of this universe. In chapter 11, verse Three, he says, by faith we understand the universe was formed. That's the same word as equip in chapter 13. Was formed at God's command. God, you know how to do things. You know how to form things. You have created this beautiful universe, not a single atom, not a single molecule, not a single galaxy disobey your will. They all line up to the will of God. You've done that in creation. Now, please do it for your people. Could you please do it for your people? Equip them so that they will be obedient to your will. But not only in that universe, God did. God did the same thing in, in Jesus. Let me remind you of chapter 10 in which the author goes to a psalm of the Old Testament and he says when Christ came into the world sacrifices and offerings you did not desire but a body you and it's the same word you prepared for me you equipped for me with burnt offerings, sin offerings, you're not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. In a most mysterious way, the incarnation is the work of the Spirit of God making Christ, enabling him not only to do God's will, but to want to do God's will. That is his life. 
I want to do God's will. God, you do that in Christ. Could you please do it also in these people? These people that know that they have to do, I gave them 12 chapters. But please, please working them what is good so that they will do your will. Working them what you worked in Christ when Christ came and said, I want to do your will. That was his, that was his food. That was his drink. That was his life. God, could you please do the same for these people? Because if you don't do that, they will not be able to do your will. That's the first request. Equip them. Prepare them. Enable them. Make them hunger and thirst for your will till they say like Christ, we want to do God's will at any cost. God, you're the only one who can do that. Yeah, they have a part. They have a part. I told them about it. But you also have a part. That's the first request. The second one is following. And may you, God, work in us what is pleasing to you. Now, we know what is not pleasing to God. Sacrifices and burnt offerings and uh, uh, all the offerings and the sacrifice of the Old Testament are not pleasing to God. Falling away from faith is not pleasing to God. You, the people of God, you have heard the faith. You have come to faith some, some time ago. And you ought to be now teachers. But you're still at the ABC level in your faith. That is not pleasing to God. There is one thing that is pleasing to God in the book of Hebrews. I'm sure you know what that is. In chapter 11, verse 6, the author said, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Oh, well, let's, let's put it the other way around. With faith is, if you have faith, you please God. God is pleased by your faith. Well, that's a very interesting request that the author of Hebrews has in this second request addressed to God. Work in them what is pleasing to you. What is pleasing to God? Faith is pleasing to God. Well, let me rephrase it. Work in them faith. Because if they have faith, they will be pleasing to you. Now, observe again what a balanced approach this prophet, pre, uh, this prophet and preacher has. Uh, 
Only two, three chapters earlier, he went through the entire history of the Jewish people. And he brought to the attention of the people, the heroes of faith, Abel, Enoch, Noah, who else? Abraham, come here, Abraham. Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and so on and so forth. He says, time would fail me if I were to mention all of them. And how happy we are that he decided to keep it short. The gist of that chapter is, do you see these champions of faith? You, the people of God, imitate them. Be like them. Strengthen your faith. Look at their example. Follow them. It's your duty to live, to hold on to faith. Mature it. Make it grow. It's your business. Look, look at that. They did. They were able to do it. Abel did it. Even if cost is his life. Enoch did it. And so on and so forth. You have to live like them. And the whole chapter, you are left with the impression that faith is our own responsibility. And it is. But that's not the whole story. Because after he finished chapter 11, he now turns to God. And what does he ask God to do? Now, God, I told them what they have to do. I gave them all the best examples of faith from your people. But now, it's your duty. It's your responsibility. It is you who are called now to work faith in them. Because, God, if you do not do that, they will try in vain to live faithful lives. Balanced approach to Christian life. The last thing this author would have wanted to hear from his audience would be the kind of questions, well, what happens if God doesn't do his part? What happens if you don't do your part? Now, that's, the author of Hebrews would not even take those questions. What he would say is, people of God, you now know what your responsibility is, right? Good. God, could you please do your part as they try to do their part? Because only together, only when God works faith in us, only when God equips us to do your, his will, we will ever be able to do what God asks us to do. And the end of the prayer is one of those most magnificent endings of prayers in the New Testament. Observe how the prayer ends. May you equip them everything good for doing your will. 
May you, God, work in us what is pleasing to you. What's the agency? How would God do that? Through Jesus Christ. And the text continues with the words, to whom be glory forever and ever. But the question is a little bit difficult to answer because there is a little ambiguity there. Observe how verse 20 starts. Now may the God of peace, to whom be glory forever and ever and ever. That's one reading of the passage. So glory forever and ever is ascribed to God. Or through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Now, to whom is this glory ascribed? To God or to Jesus? Well, the author would say yes. Yes. And by saying yes, he reminds you of the kind of high priest you have before this God. He is attested by the scriptures. He is presented by the prophets. He is acknowledged by the angels as not only the son of God, but God himself. That is how God works in us, the ability to do his will. That is how God works in us, faith, through Jesus Christ. I wanted to end this morning with a clip from YouTube, but I, my request came too late, and there are all sorts of technical details that made it impossible, but go home and put a search on the family Hoyt, H-O-Y-T. Father and son, Rick, the son, Dick, the father. Rick was born with uh, a very serious ailment, and he is uh, handicapped, complete handicapped. And as he grew, as he grew, the parents realized that the only time when he smiles, when this paraplegic son of theirs smiles, is when he runs with his dad. Now, of course, he cannot run. So the dad had to carry him in a trolley. So during their, his early years, his dad would jog with his son and see the happiness in that bright and large smile on Rick's face. And when the communication was able to be established through electronics and whatnot, the son asks the father, Father, would you like to run a marathon with me? Now, the father was a, a part of the army, but he was now retired. 
He had a heart condition. I said, okay, I'll run it. And they ran a marathon. Father pushing the son. And then after a few months, the son asked him again, would you run another marathon with me, father? And the father said, yes. And he ran another marathon. And they ran a few of those. And then they heard about the Iron Man. And the son asked the father, Father, would you run the Iron Man with me? If you don't know what the Iron Man race is, it's four kilometers swim in the ocean, and then 180, 120 miles biking, and then a marathon at the end of it. And with the help of his friends, the father made all the equipment ready and go and watch that clip to see the energy that the father puts in pushing that son through the swimming part and the biking part and the marathon. And then look at the smile of the son as they arrive at the end. It's worth watching. And I just want to end on this note. If, a, if an earthly father is able to do that and is willing to do that, how much more will our heavenly father do for us crippled, woeful sinners, but loved by this God, a God of peace, now, people of God, go and do God's will. People of God, go and work on your faith, at your faith. Because God, as a faithful God, will do his part. Now you go and do yours. Amen.